for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your host, JT The Brick. What a great day to be on the radio on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. JT, as we get going on a very busy day and night as the Golden Knights are playing tonight in what should be hopefully will be an elimination game as the Golden Knights are looking to eliminate the Wild in Minneapolis. PT's Taverns want you to night up with them tonight at all their locations in the Valley. PT's a proud partner with the Golden Knights. They've been with them from day one, and tonight they have the best happy hour in town. While the game's going on, 60-plus locations in the Valley. If you're looking to hang out, if you want to bring a place Bring your friends to a place and watch the game. Put a jersey on. Have fun, great food, and happy hour prices. PT's Taverns right here in the Valley as we kick off the show. Hope everyone's doing well. We have a big NBA night in front of us. Playoffs with hockey in the NBA is typically what happens in May going into Memorial Day. And also OTAs. As the Raiders hit the field for the start of OTAs, if you go to Raiders.com, you'll see all the photos. It's really cool to look at these pictures for all the years being up up in Oakland, in Alameda, the years that we've all been. If you have been to Napa, the beauty of Napa, and now to be in Henderson and to look out and see the mountains, the Carmel Mountains in the background, the unbelievable weather at the brand-new practice facility indoors and outdoors as the Raiders are in helmets and the Raiders are getting work in. Uh, This is great. I think the OTAs are very important for the Raiders this year. There has been a lot of turnover. Turnover on the offensive line and turnover with the coaching staff. You better believe that OTAs are more important this year than any time they've been in Vegas because what we were dealing with last year with COVID at this time. I mean, remember, a year ago yesterday, the George Floyd killing. That dominated sports radio, my business, for months along with COVID. That's really all we talked about. When was sports going to be opening up? Sports were closing. Were they going to play games? I mean, do you remember? I remember. It changed everything for us. Right around this time last year, May into June. And we're out of studios. We're working from home. We're wondering if we're ever going to be able to talk sports again live. And now it feels like a rebirth. And Vegas is a great place for the rebirth of sports. We have so much happening in this city right now. So much development. So much happening with real estate, businesses, openings in general, and the Raiders are leading the way along with the Golden Knights who have a big game tonight. So I'm really excited today. We got a lot to get to here. Uh, Dan Archer, who played on the Raiders AFL championship team, one of the greatest teams they've ever had of 1967, played in Super Bowl II. He's our once a Raider, always a Raider. A legends guest brought to you by the M Resort and Spa. He'll join us at the bottom of the hour. Raiders insider Bill Williamson. Next hour, been around the Raiders from a media perspective as long as I have, maybe longer. Can't wait to talk to him. He is always a straight shooter. Going to get into the roster and the depth. And Vince Apienza from Fox 5 is in Minneapolis. He was at morning skate for the Golden Knights. And a lot of people's heads should be wrapped around that game tonight. So as we get going, I told you I was in the building on Monday with Mike Mayock. We did an hour. We did that hour with the club PSL holders, and it was really cool because Mike went a full hour talking about everything. And I'm just sharing what I got out of that conversation. And it was a really good conversation as Mike addressed every need. And I woke up today, and I know that there are uh, members of the media 
at practice today, including Vinny Bonsignor, who you'll hear at 4 o'clock, Paul Gutierrez, who comes on the show off, and Vic Tafer put out a great piece at The Athletic on some of the issues with the Raiders, and I'm going to get into Vic's piece coming up here in a little bit. But i got to get you involved, and that's what I need to do for two hours a day. I need you to be involved with this show, either on Twitter or the phones, because that's what I do. I don't have two or three co-hosts that we talk about food and movies or we talk about Wi-Fi. We don't do that on this show. We fast, we get to the point, and we talk sports. So my goal every day is to get you involved because we got this unbelievable app where I'm explaining to people that you can download the Raiders app for free and just click on the radio icon and hear us here live. One of my best friends is in town, a guy I went to college with and I live with in San Francisco. Tony Cambo works at the Fillmore been with Live Nation, one of the oldest term workers there at the Fillmore. And that's where great music is in San Francisco. And we were watching the game with my sons last night. He's like an uncle. To my sons, we're in the backyard watching the end of LeBron and the Clippers after I got off my show last night. And we were talking a lot about our history together, me and one of my good friends in the Bay Area and parts of San Francisco that we lived in. And we were talking about going to Raider games and all this. And it brought back a lot of memories. So I woke up today, and we got a coffee together, and he's a Raider fan, and we were talking about position battles. And this is what one of my friends asked me. So this is what I'm leading with on the show today. He said to me, what do you think, JT, is the biggest position battle on this team? And I said, position battle, that's a good question because it's got to be on the defense, and it's got to be either in the secondary linebacker on the defensive line, and we talked about that. And I said to Tony Campbell, I said, Tony, great topic. I'm going to lead with the radio show on that today from noon to 2. And hear what the Raider fans have to say. And I just tweeted it out at JT the Brick, and I think it's important because they're on the field today. Uh, John Abram is going to speak to the media. We might have sound of that a little bit later on when we cut it up. But I want to know from you, the Raider Nation, the season ticket holders, PSL owners, what position battle, as they're out on the field today, battling at the beginning for jobs, is most important to you? Not the one that you think is the biggest juicy gossip side, side story. I want to know for you personally, because I'm trying to get to know you better, what position battle do you make as the priority? Where you either want a player to step up and keep that position, or you'd like a younger player or a new player to come in and win that position. All right, it's very important here, because there's only a few position battles. There's not a position battle at tight end. There's not a position battle at running back. There's not a position battle at quarterback. But there is some competition at wide receiver in regards to how you're going to slot the one, two, and three wide receiver. And then there's a ton of position battles on defense. Most notably, the new young defenders who are coming in in the secondary with the starters, cornerback, and maybe you think something on the defensive line. You know, I've been telling everybody that I don't think that Max Crosby should be in a position battle. That's just my opinion. You know, Mike Mayock said that, you know, possibly Max played too many downs last year because he was injured, and they didn't have a lot of depth, and they just didn't have guys who could make plays on the defensive line. Max Crosby has been able to do that. Max has been a really good Raider for two years. I don't think that he should be isolated in a position battle over another edge rusher unless Kuntz comes in and in the preseason is just a beast and you got to get him on the field and you got to have Ngakwe on the other side and that's a good problem to have. But I think we all agree in the secondary that there needs to be some position battles. And what I'm finding out 
is that a lot of people here are good. They like the players who are here that have not, I don't want to say they've underachieved, but they haven't overachieved yet. Right? I don't think you could say that Damon Arnett's overachieved. You can't say that about John Abram. When you look at Trayvon Mullen, Trayvon Mullen, I believe, is a, a, a good player. He plays good in burst. He plays good for some of the game. He's not, a lot, he's not Lester Hayes, who I was with two weeks ago. He's not Mike Haynes. He's nowhere near that. So when, when you don't have a guy like that, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the guy to play better. And that's where Gus Bradley comes into play. Footwork, shoulders, where to line up, anticipation, how to jump around, how to get help on a certain play, right? That's what Gus Bradley is here to do. And I want to get into that. So, again, as we open up the phones, the phones are always open, 702-365-9200. I'd like you on the phones to light a fire under a player or two's ass today because they're in a position battle, and you want them to win that position battle, or you want them to at least be looking over their shoulder. Who is that specific player? Be specific with me because they're on the field right now, breaking practice and about to talk to the media, and they listen to this show. And this show streams well on demand. And we're on in the Bay Area where there's a lot of Raider fans who can't go to training camp and practice in OTAs. But they're waiting for this show and other shows to bring you that content of the biggest position battle that you have today. And that might change. It might change here in a couple of weeks when we get more information about how practice is going and what's happening out there and who looks good. Because a lot of the information that comes from the Raiders, you know, John Gruden will tell you. He'll let it be known. I've asked him every question you can ever ask him. He lets you know if he's pissed off and upset or not happy about something before I ask the question. That's the way John Gruden is. He's incredible. I'm I'm talking about three minutes, five minutes, ten minutes after a game. When he is in the mandatory media, the first guy out of the locker room talking to the media, Gruden, before he opens up the questions, tells you exactly what he's thinking. I think that John Gruden's in a good space right now. I think that John Gruden with the addition, Gruden was tight with Paul Gunther, really tight with him. You saw from Hard Knocks, they commuted together. That was a decision. They they had no choice but to let go of Paul Gunther because the players weren't getting the job done under Paul Gunther. And then I thought they were really sharp to go out and get quickly Gus Bradley because Gus Bradley would have been taken pretty quickly by another team. Another team would have been able to go out there and get him. And if that was going to happen, then... You know, the Raiders would have been looking at a younger defensive coordinator who didn't have the track record of Gus Bradley. Gus is a former head coach. He worked with John Gruden in Tampa. He was an architect of the Legion of Boom in Seattle. And then he did a pretty good job with the Chargers with that pass rush in that secondary and brought in Coach Milas with him, which I think was a tremendous pickup by the Raiders. So I like that. I think that's a big pickup for the Raiders. One is the coaching staff on top of Yannick Ngakwe, who comes in, and especially Casey Hayward. So, again, the show started 11 minutes ago. We're ready to get to work. What do you believe is the biggest position battle? Which player on the Raiders right now do you believe has the most concern about losing their starting position right now at the start of OTAs that better have their A game going? 702-365-9200 as we open up the show. Uh, Vic Tafer is a tremendous content provider along with Vinny Bonsignor. And we mentioned the, all, all, there's so many good Raider beat writers, I'm telling you. And Vic put out a really good piece at The Athletic on the Raiders running back duo, Gus Bradley's impact. 
and five things to watch as OTAs get underway. And this was put out yesterday and or today where I saw it and I read it. And it really, it really talked about a lot of things that I like to talk about. Yeah, Corey Littleton needs to make more plays than he did a year ago. He was the team's biggest free agent signing. And now with Bradley and Ngakwe, will they be enough to spark the defense? Vic wrote Bradley, who the Raiders haven't made available to the media since introductory news conference in January, has raved about Ngakwe's work ethic and preparation for those who don't know him. Ngakwe has 45 and a half sacks in five seasons. Let me repeat that. 45 and a half sacks in five seasons. And he's bounced around a lot. The Raiders added Quentin Jefferson, Solomon Thomas, Darius Phylon, Matt Dickerson, as well as undrafted rookie Darius Stills to go along with returning starter Jonathan Hankins. So there's a lot going on there. Thomas is coming off a torn ACL from week two of last season. And he's working that in now, working himself back with the Raiders here. Phylon can play both inside spots and rejoins Bradley after their time together with the Chargers. And Bradley would like to have two groups up front that he can roll to keep guys fresh against offenses that spread defenders out while they try to tire them out. That's really important. And as you know, David Irving was let go, and that was a surprising cut last week, and he was let go. So the depth on the defensive line, as Vic is writing at The Athletic, is showing you here something specific that there is going to be a rolling group of players coming in with fresher legs. Also, Vic wrote about a Littleton, which I believe is a really big topic going forward. Watch Littleton, but don't forget about Morrow. As I said, I wasn't a Morrow guy coming into last year, and he played really well. Leadership was able to play, start, and continue to play there. They brought him back for $4.5 million for one year. So, as Vic Tafer wrote, the only reason that comes back, he comes back for that money, which is a significant amount of money. $4.5 million for one year, that's not a long-term deal, is Gus Bradley had to have a big thumbs up there. Gus looked at the tape of Morrow and said, yes, he's good enough in my system to keep here, along with Littleton and Nick Witkowski. So as we look for your position battles that you think is the biggest priority, I would start off with defense at linebacker. I wanted to see really a budding rivalry here and a position battle at linebacker that I don't think we're going to see. And that's why I wanted them to go out and get Micah Parsons and trade up for him in the first round because that would have forced the Raiders to start Micah Parsons, who ended up going to Dallas, and one of the three would have had less time. And I wouldn't have been, uh, had a problem if Kwiatkowski, Morrow, or Littleton played less because they brought in a stud linebacker in the draft. They did not go down that road. So there's not going to be a position battle there. Uh, Vic went in to write about Derek Carr being back is better than ever and what's going to happen with this offensive line, an offensive line that traded away Trent Brown, Gabe Jackson, and refused pay cuts and then traded center Rodney Hudson when he asked for his release. So that's a big position battle because I think a lot of people know on the offensive line, the offensive line's got to be ready to roll. The offensive line, the backups who are now going to play. We talked about Simpson with Mayock, who came in the fourth round last year. Incognito, who's healthy. Colton Miller, all right, when you look up front, what they want to do at the center position, they have two centers who are going to be competing here to see who does a better job and starts this year. And then the right guard position, 
is very important. And I think that's going to play out in the preseason. But finally, Vic wrote in The Athletic, will the last line of defense please stand up? And this is the hook to what we're talking about in the monologue. Trayvon Morig is there. He must be a plug-in starter. Speed instincts, closing ability. He's got to get on the ball. Vic wrote, Abram is poised to be the leader of the Raider defense if the strong safety can stay healthy and learn from his coverage mistakes from last season. Wow, let's stop. If Jonathan Abram can stay healthy and learn from his coverage mistakes from last season. Well, that's a guy that's going to be thrown into a position battle. How could you not be? It's just, can he be healthy? Is he available? And can he improve from the mistakes that he made last year? Everybody knows that Gus and the Raiders want Abram to play closer to the box, help stop the run, but he cannot become a liability in the passing game. That, to me, is one of the biggest topics of this entire OTAs, the offseason as we get ready, and I hope you agree, heading into the preseason, where Jonathan Abram needs to play all three games. All right, Jonathan Abram needs to play three-quarters of every preseason game. Anybody who doesn't think so is nuts. This guy needs to be on the field in the preseason. This wasn't Jack Tatum and George Atkinson in their prime, and they played six preseason games every year for pretty much free. So they're not going to be, hey, man, we're, we're going to rest Jonathan Abram. We don't want him to get hurt in the preseason. You know, we're going to sit out our net. We want to make sure he's – no, 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 no. These guys need to play football. They came into the league during COVID and didn't practice. They weren't available. They were injured, concussions, and didn't play much. And now they have to practice and play in the preseason against some of these wide receivers that are going to be playing against them in the preseason and some of the players that are going to want to make the team. As Vic Tafer wrote in The Athletic, Mullen has the length and speed to play corner well in Bradley's cover scheme. I agree with that 100%. Agree with that 100%. And how about this nugget? The Raiders staff has gone back to watch Ohio State film to try to integrate Arnett smoothly after half of his rookie season was lost to injuries and COVID. So Arnett did a lot better in zone coverage than man at Ohio State. And there's a chance that Arnett could move the slot corner if Casey Hayward takes one of those starting outside spots. Let's stop again. Casey Hayward is the starting cornerback for the Raiders opposite of Mullen today. There is no way that Casey Hayward, a two-time pro bowler, who is now healthy, is competing for any spot here. Hayward, who played for Bradley with the Chargers, has also played the slot in the NFL. Then the disappearing act of Amik Robertson. He was drafted to come in here and play. Didn't see much of him. Nevin Lawson is on this team again, along with Nixon, who could also be in the mix in the slot. I'm surprised they're here and they were not upgraded. And I believe those positions can still be upgraded. It's a wide open position because there's always injuries in the secondary and there's always players that are going to need a break and it's a one extra game this year so you want to have depth there. So as Vic wrapped it up, the training camp battles for all of the defensive backs roster spots should be very intense. This week's OTAs help set the stage. And that's what I opened up the show with. What do you believe is the biggest position battle, the one player that you want to shine a light on today and say that starting today with the media out there, this player has got to play great and prove that he deserves to be on the field 
702-365-9200 as we open up the show. Uh, last night was a big night for the NBA. I thought LeBron James was in a must-win situation, and he came through. Here's a late three-pointer, a dagger for LeBron James, who wasn't doing much in the game. He was more of a facilitator, but when he needed to hit the big shot, he was able to do it. LeBron James, wide open for three. Yes, sir! Yeah, that was a big spot right there for LeBron to hit that shot as the Lakers beat the Suns 109-102. to That was a very big game for the Lakers. I think... And, you know, in that game, Chris Paul was hurt, and he only played, I believe, 23 minutes in the game. So the fact that he was hurt really gave the Lakers an opportunity not to deal with the playmaking ability of Chris Paul late in that game because that game got a little bit close down the stretch, and the Lakers needed to close it out, and they were able to do it. Here's Anthony Davis. Remember, he was very accountable. After losing the first game, he told everybody he'd take care of business, and he did. We're a veteran team. You know, we had some mistakes down the end, but we stayed poised, we stayed comfortable, we've been in that position before, you know, we didn't overreact. It's a team we're playing at home with a crowd, they're going to make shots, and, you know, we just make sure that we execute on the other end, that we uh, got stops when it matters, so, you know, we, we didn't stress too much, this team can make shots, they the best shooting team in the league. That was a really important game for the Lakers, it, it was, a really important game for the NBA. The NBA can't afford the Lakers being eliminated in round one. And if they went down 0-2, they were done. They were not going to win four out of five. Phoenix is a two seed. They were the second best team in all of basketball. They played really well. I thought the Lakers would win the game. But if they didn't, we have a totally different conversation today. All of sports changes today. The Clippers went down 0-2. No one seems to care, right? Who cares about the Clippers? You, you know the Clippers had cardboard cutouts in the lower bowl last night? cardboard cutouts as Madison Square Garden is packed and some of these other arenas. How screwed up is California when it comes to sports and politics? How messed up is the state of California where you can't have, there's millions of people vaccinated in greater Los Angeles. Millions. And you're telling me you couldn't get them to put a mask on and sit their asses in the first five rows instead of having a cutout? And the Clippers are down 0-2. And their cardboard cutout fans are staring into space. It's a big topic for me last night as the Mavericks beat the Clippers 127 to 121. Luka Doncic had 39 points in the game. And uh, we'll talk about the Golden Knights and what's at stake tonight. My level, because I love the Knights on a nervous level, is about a 7. It's about a 7. So if the Knights don't win tonight, it'll go to a 10 as they come back to Vegas for a game 7. Because I think they'll beat Colorado. I really do. I'm more nervous about Minnesota even being up a game one than I am Colorado. I think I know the Knights match up against Colorado, and they could get to Colorado's goalie. I don't know what's happening here because Minnesota's let back into the series. We would like to get a hockey call. It's like a miracle if a hockey fan calls. We're in the playoffs. Let's get a hockey fan ready for tonight, 702-365-9200. Teddy in Vegas, start us off with the Raiders position battle. Who do you have? Position battle I got I'm excited about is Damon Arnett's got to step up. Mm-hmm. Got to step up and uh, lay claim to that uh, outside corner spot. And I'd love to see on the slot corner, I'd love to see one of the young guys, either Nate Hobbs or Amik Robertson, take that over. It should be Amik Robertson. It should be Amik Robertson. He was drafted to do that, to come in in the slot. Joyner couldn't do it. That was one of the uh, the biggest nice guy Joyner was 
one of the biggest wastes of money per play in Raider history. You would agree? No. In, in Raider no. history, that, that guy was made a multi-multi-millionaire and could barely do anything. So whoever is playing the slot corner in a league now that the slot receiver is very important, especially against some of the teams that the Raiders match up against, I think I think you nailed it as you start off the show. That's a great call. That's a position battle that's got to be a battle throughout the preseason. Right on. Thanks, JT. Yeah, hey, thank I want to make another comment real quick, JT. Sure. I've been reading a lot of articles where the premise of the article bashing on Gruden Starts off by saying that his record is 19 and 29 with the Raiders. Now that that is true in fact, mm. but the fact that he came in and gutted the whole team in 2018 by giving up Khalil Mack, right. getting rid of Amari Cooper, dumb guys like Bruce Irvin, I don't think he was that concerned with his record. He's not. So he's, anybody he's, who's he's, starting he's, that article to, with uh, 19 and 29, the article's usually BS. I would agree. I think Gruden's a great coach. I said that when he was in the booth. Appreciate the call. Said it at Tampa. It wasn't Tony Dungy's team. It was John Gruden. Tony Dungy couldn't win. John Gruden did. John Gruden is the orchestrator of one of the greatest Super Bowl winning game plans in Super Bowl history. The only game plan that was better in the history of the Super Bowl is the Jets beating the Colts in Super Bowl three, the biggest upset of all time. What the Buccaneers did to the Raiders in the Super Bowl is one of the greatest coaching jobs in Super Bowl history. And Gruden owns that. And Gruden's a hell of a coach. Everybody knows that, but he doesn't have a hell of a team. He doesn't have a great team. And he took a chance. He took over a team, broke it down to build it in the way he wanted to. And he's right there. It's a 500 team now that should have won 10 games. Remember, if the Raiders, and you could say coulda, shoulda, woulda all the time. I get it. I get it. I'm friends with Coach Gruden. I want him to win. So I'm biased on that. Again, Print the T-shirts. I'm biased. I like John Gruden, period. I got coaches back. And when he loses games, I ask him why he lost the game and what the hell happened. And with Gruden, they had first and goal at the four-yard line with Marcus Mariota. I, I thought that was a bad decision not to run him three times in a row, three times in a row, and they score and win that game, period. The game's over. And then the other big game, obviously, when you look at what happened, was the miracle of Miami when Miami – Won the game on the Fitzpatrick getting hit in the face. Miracle at Allegiant Stadium. So if they were 10-6, and six, I think everybody's quiet on Gruden. Now that they're 8-8, eight and eight, everybody's moaning about why aren't they winning the Super Bowl. And he's fine with it. That's the monologue brought to you by Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence. When we talk X's and O's out at the pool, it's a Remy Martin sidecar or a Remy Martin Tercet. Oh, and if you're lucky enough to have a shot of Louie, don't ever turn that down. Raider legend, a man who played with one of the greatest teams. Dan Archer will join us next. I think um, the NFL is really a race to maturity. You know, the owners, the, the coaches, the head coach, the fans, they want these first and second year players to act like six, seven, eight year veterans. Yeah. So it's that race to maturity. How can we get these guys to mature and play like they're capable of playing and yet have that experience, that wisdom that goes along with it? Well, that says a lot. That's Gus Bradley, the new defensive coordinator of the Raiders out on the field. And I think Gus, when he got hired, John Gruden and Mike Mayock and everybody, Mark Davis, told them, look, we got players here 
that need to play at a higher level because we drafted them very high. Can you improve on these players? And he's talking about it. He said that to Eric Allen in a great interview. All those interviews interviews are up at Raiders.com along with our Legends moment brought to you by M Resort, the official team headquarters hotel of the Las Vegas Raiders. Played with the Raiders in 1967. One of their greatest teams played in Super Bowl II. Dan Archer, kind enough to join us. Dan, thanks for doing this. We really appreciate it. How are you? No problem. Nice to do it. Really appreciate having you on. You you played on one of those great all-time AFL teams. But first, take me on the journey on how you decided to be a football player as a young kid and ended up playing and having a career at Oregon. Um. Well, you know, I never really expected that. I, it was funny because I was walking in high school. I was just walking in the parking lot, and the coach came up to me and asked me where I wanted to go to school. And I didn't know what he meant but uh, uh, at that time, but uh, I had several offers to go to different schools. And, yeah, Oregon, uh, I ended up at Oregon. A uh, great school, obviously. So. What was that experience like for you? Were you a player that already had big skills, or were you molded to be a professional football player when when you were in college with coaches? I don't th- no, I was I wasn't molded. I didn't know, even know I was going to be drafted by the Rangers or wow. anybody else, for that matter. Also, the Washington Redskins at that time. But no, I just I was just a football player and. Uh, uh, they, I guess, saw something they liked in me, and uh, I was actually skiing when um, yeah. I think it was Scotty Sterling or Ron Wolf called me uh, and said I was drafted. I was drafted by them, and I didn't find out until I got home. And my roommates, uh, you know. It's incredible. We're talking to Dan Archer, played for the Raiders on one of their all-time greatest teams, the championship team that went on to play Super Bowl II against Vince Lombardi and the Packers. So, you know, a few gentlemen, Dan, have told me the same thing. You don't even know what you're going to do. The NFL, Washington, the AFL with the Raiders. What did you know as a young guy in college, the difference between the AFL and the NFL back in the day? Uh, Well, obviously, uh, the NFL – at least in most of the people's opinion, was superior league. But um, I think that all changed very quickly, and mm-hmm. certainly right uh, at, at the time I was playing. You come in we in had, 60 we had some great teams. So. Yeah, you had some great teams. So let me, let me ask you about coming to the Raiders with all that talent on that team, considering what the Raiders did before you got there. Take me through the 67 season after the 66 draft when you looked at the roster and were trying to make it as a guard tackle. Who were some of the great players, those players that you bonded with? Um, it, 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 it was an absolute uh, amazing experience. We, Gene, Upshaw, Gene Upshaw and I arrived at San Francisco Airport late into uh we had national guard basic training during is the vietnam war era and uh mm-hmm. either scotty sterling or ron wolf picked us up for the drive to santa rosa and we spent most of our mondays at national guard facilities in fremont at that time but it was the experience was amazing i i was uh you know we were two weeks late i certainly didn't anticipate making the team and uh 
you you're just running into people, just absolute legends. You know, mm-hmm. Jim Otto, of course, Ben Davidson. Uh, you know, George Blanda and Billy Cannon were on that yeah. team. It, uh, Fred Litnikoff. It was uh, it was it was amazing. It was a great experience. What was that journey like that season for you? We're talking to Dan Archer, once a Raider, always a Raider. When you knew you had a team that could not only win the AFL but have an opportunity to go up against the NFL in Super Bowl two, that was a big historical moment in NFL history, AFL history. What are, what are some of your fondest memories? Well, obviously the Super Bowl uh, was a, a very fond memory. Um, ben Davidson, who's you know kind of incorrectly portrayed as some dirty player by some people, mm-hmm. uh, if you look at some of the names pictures on the web occasionally he was one of the nicest and caring uh, caring guys i ever met he uh organized several trips with other raiders to visit uh, wounded veterans in uh, hospitals on our days off on mondays and for some reason probably a rookie veteran assigned he's he befriended me our two weeks in miami prior to the super bowl and uh we spent a lot of time together dan archer is our guest do you do you recall lombardi in that game i mean i know that was a great great and you're an offensive lineman but a unbelievable a tremendous uh, team that you were going up against do you recall looking at you played guard tackle when you looked over at lombardi and saw the magnitude of the crowd after super bowl one at super bowl two the build-up was tremendous did you take it in or were you just so laser locked in on the game I, I took it in. I, I was, I was locked into the game. I, uh, I think I played a, a pretty good game. I, it was all mm. special teams, and uh, you know I was on all the kicking teams, and uh, I actually was credited with two tackles uh, in that nice. game. I think I made a third one, but either Dwayne Benson <laughs> or Estes Bank took it away from me. <laughs> but yeah, I was, I was focused. You know, I never. Yeah, I knew we were playing against, uh, you know, Vince Lombardi. It was actually, I think, his last game uh, yeah. uh, that he ever coached. Uh, but it was, it was, uh, it, it was, you know, a highlight of my life, obviously. And it's left a lasting impression with many of my friends um, uh, after, uh, you know, going through that achievement. Yeah. You played on a great team. Dan, what'd you do after football? Tell everybody what you're doing today. How's your life today? I know you got a great family and Tiburon and California and your roots in Grand Rapids. Uh, what's life like for yeah. you today? Uh, it's fine. You know, I'm not, I'm not that young anymore, but <laughs> I'm still walking and uh, able to, you know, get out and bike, um, you know, three or four times a week and uh, trying to stay vertical. Um, it's uh, it, it's it's a great place to live. I'm very fortunate. Uh, I've got a wonderful wife, got uh, three children, who've all done well. So I I have absolutely no complaints at all with the direction of my life. Excellent. Was, well, once a Raider, always a Raider. Will we see you out here, Danny? You probably uh, you looking to take a trip out to Vegas? You know how much the alumni association cares about you here. We're hoping we see you here in Vegas as the stadium's opening up. Yes, we were supposed to go uh, for a reunion, uh, yeah. I think, last year. Yeah, and, but, of course, that got canceled with the pandemic. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to coming down and uh, watching a game. 
Thank you, Dan. All the best. We really appreciate you. Thanks for sharing some stories with us. <laughs> no problem. You got Thank it. You. Dan Archer. Right. You got it. Played on the 1967 AFL championship team and kind enough to join us. We really appreciate the fact that we're talking to all these legends. And when we get one from the 60s, we get one from the 60s, we appreciate it. Uh, he's going to be 77 years old, but played in some of the biggest games in Raider history. That 1967 team, the team in 66-67 Super Bowl stew team. I've talked with Fred Bolitnikoff about that roster and that team. It's a shame they didn't win Super Bowl II. They lost to Lombardi and the Packers, who went back-to-back, winning Super Bowl I and II. But the Raiders were in that game early and put themselves in a position to play in the Super Bowl that's another opportunity the Raiders had to win a world championship early. Remember, Fred Bolitnikoff played in Super Bowl II. Then he played in Super Bowl XI, where he got the MVP award and won his ring. Think of, what the, think of the games that guys like Fred played in, from Super Bowl II and the loss all the way to the win in Super Bowl XI. You know, Jim Otto didn't play in the Super Bowl XI team, but he played the entire time up into that. And you look at Upshaw and Shell and the legends on that team. There were a lot of victories with the Raiders from the mid to late 60s into the late 70s. They could have been the greatest team of all time. They had one of the greatest teams of all time. But the immaculate reception loss, the loss to Kansas City when Kansas City won Super Bowl four, the 72 Dolphins. You know, most Raider fans that you talk to will tell you that the Raiders were better than those teams. Those teams either got them on a day or a team before them got the Raiders and they were devastating losses until they broke through in the Super Bowl in 77, coming off that 76 year. 702-365-9200. We're looking for the biggest position battle for the Raiders as practice is over and several of the players now are addressing the media, and that's up at Raiders.com. Mike in Staten, Italy, calling long distance on the Raiders app. How are you, Mike? Hey, J2, doing great. Hey, thank you for that interview, uh, especially with Veterans Day coming, Memorial Day coming up, to thank a veteran. And that's a true hero that you had on. And I am going to go back and watch that 67. Obviously, I was born that year. I can't wait to go back and watch that Super Bowl and, and, and relive the history. To you, JT, I got two things. I'm on my way to MSG right now, a little tailgating, a little uh, Nick Basketball where it means something. It's uh. It's, it, was, it looked like amazing time on TV. I had to go to StubHub, paid $425. Wait a second. Wait a second. 425 for a ticket to get you into the garden tonight. It's going to be the most electric spot in the country for sports. Way to go, Mikey. Yeah, you know what? A little more than I wanted to spend, but... I, who knows if they're going to make it back? That was, uh, yeah. I think, uh, you know, I think he got out coached that first game. We'll see. Randall has to show up. My bet for the day, JT, Derek Rose, over 23 and a half points, rebounds, and assists. That's what I'll be rooting for. And, JT, one last thing I got to leave you with the difference between Aaron Rodgers and Carr, if we were ever blessed to get Aaron Rodgers, there's two or three plays a game that Aaron Rodgers makes where Carr throws the ball away and doesn't take a chance, and that could mean the difference of three or four wins for the year. I wouldn't mortgage the future. Aaron Rodgers to the Raiders in this tough division uh, would be amazing. Yeah, appreciate it, Mike. Have a good time at the Nick game tonight. Talking Raiders football as he's driving in. Thanks for the call to MSG. Man, I'm sorry. I would rather be with him today. I'd rather be going in as a Nick fan. 
into that building tonight. God, I wish I was there for that. It's going to be fun. Look, Aaron Rodgers makes more plays than anyone other than Mahomes. And I keep comparing Rodgers to Mahomes. And that's not a knock on Derek. So, as Mike just said, I think Derek's throwing the ball away less. You would agree, right? I think everybody agrees. You know, a couple of years ago, we saw Derek throw the ball away on fourth down or just throw it away. And it was a head scratcher. What is he doing? At least let a player compete for the ball if it gets intercepted. Derek's running more. So two of the big things that were very critical of Derek Carr was not his decision-making because he's, already, he's always a guy who doesn't turn it over a lot in the air. It's his ability to hold on to the ball and not fumble, his ability to run more, and his ability to take chances and give his teammates the ability to make a play here or there. You know, like I said, I think this year on third down and six, I keep using third down and six, the Raiders have all these weapons. They have these tremendous weapons everywhere. And six yards. Go walk in your backyard six yards. It's not very far. Hunter Renfro takes three steps and dives at six yards. You got Ruggs. You got Waller. You got Moreau. You're going to have Edwards. You look at every other Jones, all the other receivers that they have there, Sneed. It's not hard to get six yards on third and six. But this year, I think Derek's going to run more. I really believe if Derek sees a hole, if Derek can hit the hole and run a little bit more, slide, get down, the Raiders are going to hold on to the football longer. I like Derek Carr on third down. I like him in a clean pocket. But most people that we've talked to on this show, especially the fans, don't think the pocket's going to be cleaner than when Derek had a healthy Trent Brown, which wasn't often, a healthy Gabe Jackson, and a healthy Rodney Hudson. So Derek is going to be forced to make quicker decisions this year, which he should be able to make. He's a veteran, fourth year in the system. And maybe one of the, some of the decisions he's going to make is to run quicker, not hold the ball, not hold the ball, and wait, run quicker, and move the chains. I think he's going to do that this year because that's what all Derek's critics expect of him, and he knows he has critics that want to see him take his game to another level, and I think he did that last year. 702-365-9200 as the Raiders are done with practice and they're on the field for the second day of OTAs. And several Raiders have spoke to the media and will continue to do it. What is the biggest position battle for the Raiders in OTAs and heading into the preseason? One player, one position that you want to light a fire under. 702-365-9200 brought to you by SalmonAshLaw.com. SalmonAshLaw.com I feel like I'm just starting the prime, you know, of my career athletically, physically, mentally, um, in the same system. So it's exciting, you know, Sean is, uh, I'm, I'm beyond grateful uh, to have the same coach, you know, uh, for year after year after year. It's, uh, it, it, it's kind of nice, and I wish that for all young quarterbacks uh, in the NFL. Derek Carr, happy to be with Gruden, fourth year in the system. I love it. Getting more and more information. Crack it, crank it up, Bobby. You know I love when we have the Stones coming out. I met my wife at a Rolling Stones concert. Hey, I want to thank the team over at Angel Park Golf Course. I played it the other day. 
Ben Beck and his team, fantastic. My kids learned to hit golf balls over at their Cloud 9 Par 3 course. So I took them there when they were youngsters and playing the Par 3. We went out and played Angel Park. It was incredible. The course was in great shape. The fairways, the greens rolled as good as any in town. What a day out there. The views of the mountains. I love Angel Park. It's close to my home. Got out there and played the golf course. As we're looking for golf around town, please look at Angel Park. I was blown away. I played Shadow Creek, which is different, and Southern Highlands recently with Coaches versus Cancer. I went out to Angel Park. I walked off the golf course. I said, beautiful. Putts were rolling firm. Fairways were in great shape, and it moved quickly in and out. Great job with the team at Angel Park. I'll be spending a lot of my summer out there. Let's get back to the phones on what you believe is the biggest position battle that the Raiders have this year. Raider 66 in Vegas. You're up next. Hey, JT. Thanks for taking my call. Actually, uh, the position battle, I'm talking about the quarterback. You just had Derek Carr on there. And all this talk about him being, you know, uh, uh, having to prove himself and all this stuff. You know, people think it's a, a an excuse, but it's not. It's a reason. The defense is the reason that Derek mm-hmm. Carr hasn't had the success that he's had. Can you imagine having a game plan and, and the sleepless nights that he's had thinking, okay, if I make a mistake, if I uh, run the ball and get hurt, the defense isn't going to be able to overcome that and, and win. He knows he has to score practically every time. There's a guy who's a Hall of Famer, pretty good quarterback, Dan Fouts. You know, his, his career record was 86-84-1, but he's in the Hall of Fame. People mm-hmm. keep pointing at Carr's record, saying, you know, look, he's, a, he's got a losing record and all this stuff. He's got all the other numbers. The, the record book for the Raiders is littered with his name up at the top. Yeah, it's a different uh, time, a different thing, but I think that you are absolutely correct. The defense is going to improve this year, and Derek is going to feel free. He can make those throws now that you're saying that he overthrows, and maybe he doesn't feel that window is, is too tight because mm-hmm. the defense, if there's a turnover, he's not going to be able to come back. He's going to be free with a defense playing better. Nobody goes to the playoffs with the 30th-ranked defense. Yeah. Not Tom Brady, nobody. Yeah, I appreciate the call. That's obvious, and I'm happy you brought it up because it's important. If this defense can get off the field and give the ball back to Derek, and there's another side to that. Can Derek keep the defense on the sideline? Can Derek move the chains on third down with his legs? As I talked about changing the play at the line of scrimmage, throwing just a six-yard screen pass to Kenyon Drake. I mean, the guy's fantastic running routes. And you got Josh Jacobs, and when he came in, Josh was supposed to be a pass-catching running back. And then you got Waller, and you got Renfro, and Ruggs over the top. And I am not out of the Julio Jones trade conversation. I am not. If I ever get to the point on Raider Nation Radio where I don't bring up Julio Jones, if Julio Jones was traded for by Mike Mayock, he would walk in the building as the best player on the Raider offense. Better than Waller, better than Carr. He's Julio bleeping Jones. Kick the tires on him and see what that deal looks like. Massage the cap, do what you got to do. That's what I say. You got to make deals. Go make a deal. Make the team better. Mike Mayock is not done. I have a feeling Mike Mayock is not done. One hour up, Vince Sapienza joins us live from Minneapolis. I'm going to preview the Golden Knights coming back. Go Knights, go.